0: Some guy actually picked up his chair. He was going to beat the person
1: next to him. (laughs) The guy beside him didn't even flinch. It was amazing.
0: Richard, it's been so long since we've been in a crowd in front
1: of 40,000 people like this. Yeah. No. My my, my stadium experience has waned.
0: Yeah. Mine too. It's been a long, long time since we've done a live show. So you guys are the, the first to have us back. Uh, I'm here, Richard's here, Mark Rendell is here, and we, uh, we're gonna kick the show off as we always do with a little segment that I like to call Better Know Framework. Play the music. All right, buddy, what do you got? Okay, so, uh, you know who Peter Morris is? Peter Morris is the author of Fluxor. Huh. Which is a C-sharp implementation of the Flux pattern which Redux uses okay. in the JavaScript world to do state management, And but it's for Blazor. He has recently also done one that is for .NET in general that is not specifically for Blazor. Cool. Called something else, uh, but me being a Blazor developer, I was really interested. So I got to know Peter. He's one of these guys who's just scary smart. And he knows a lot about computer science and patterns and and things and the way they should be built. Mm -hmm. And he took up this little claim with the uh, .NET team. Now, I don't know if you remember, Richard, but it was back in a previous episode. Remember, I was talking about the immutable collections and immutable arrays and all that stuff, Mm -hmm. right? And I found this, and I thought this was great because an immutable collection is something that you probably want if you're on the server side. Um, I've always had to lock them yeah. before I access them, as yeah. you have and everybody yeah. else. But immutable collections and immutable arrays sound really good to me. So he was doing some digging into immutable array of T, and he found out that it was really effing slow. Hmm. The reason is is because it does not do the standard immutable pattern when you ac- it actually does have an add method yeah but when you add to a mutable array of t it copies the whole array oh into a new memory structure right so it's it's quite non-performant and he took this up in a link to the github repo where mm-hmm. the, where he's bringing this up and they suggested he uses uh, a immutable list of t because <laughs> that's much faster and he was like, well, okay, but why do you have an immutable array of T w- with something that lets me add? Because people will naturally assume that arrays are faster than lists. Right. Maybe they are, maybe they're not, but they will assume that because it has an add, uh, method, I should use it. And the, the team came back and said, yeah, well, it's really for, uh, read only data. It's really for, you should, you should, make something an immutable array of T once it's set in stone and then just read from it. And he said, so why not call it a read-only array of (laughs) T and remove the ad? And basically the answer was, oh, we couldn't do that. That would be too disruptive to our customers and whatever. So I thought it was a really interesting discussion and they went at it. You know, it was, it was kind of a really dramatic. I mean, we all need drama as developers, don't we? <laughs> because we live in such a non-drama world. Yeah. That when we see people like sparring over, over memory, it's exciting.
2: Yeah. That's I mean, what every GitHub issues, what every GitHub repo needs is more fights in the issues. Absolutely. You know, there's not enough of that sort of thing going on, especially and, not in the dot net world.
0: And, and, you know, it would be better if there were, like, British rules, because when Brits fight, they're very polite.
2: Yes. <laughs> Marcus of Queensbury rules, yes. yes. You but, hit me, then I'll hit you, and we'll see who gets tired first.
0: Yeah. Or you could do, like, this Scottish shin-kicking kind of thing. <laughs> that is a thing. It is a thing. It and is a thing. And you know what they say when, they're, when they've had it? They say, sufficient. Yes. That means I'm done, you win. Yeah. <laughs> sufficient. Anyway, I thought it was a really interesting conversation, and the take-home for you guys is you probably don't want to use Immutable Array of T, and even though I was talking about that in a previous show, you might want to think about using Immutable List of T because it's more performant. Yeah. It does what you probably want it to do.
1: I'm still reading these ongoing comments. I mean, up to like... It's amazing, huh? Yesterday.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's basically saying, you, you know, you say it's immutable, but according to the laws of immutability, you're not implementing the patterns that should be implemented. Instead, you should call it read-only. And they basically say, no, nanny, nanny, boo-boo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's what I got. That's
1: pretty awesome. Who's talking to us today, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1728, the one we last did with one Mark Rendell. Back in Feb of 2021, like, uh, you know, back in the old days, uh, the old fashioned way too. We weren't in person or anything fun like that. We're doing it on the recording. And, uh, John had a comment. This was the show we talked about, uh, migrating from WCF over to gRPC and, yeah. and all that fun tooling that you've been working on, uh, with visual recode there, Mark. Yeah. And John's comment was, thanks, Mark, and as always, Carl and Richard just watched part one of the web forms migration on YouTube, and it was very cool. The big bang approach of let's recreate the whole thing from scratch, I suspect, isn't often practical or financially viable. This seems like a great best-of-both solution, allowing people to move forward into shiny new without scrapping all the existing code in the process, because you never get to do that, right? You have to piecemeal across, and and you presented an option for being able to do that. Hmm. Uh, so good for you, John. I'm glad it's working for you. And yeah, good coding stuff for there. So thanks, John, for your comment. And a copy of to Code Buy is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of to Code by, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks. We publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of to and by. Uh,
0: and definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin and he's at rich campbell and send us a tweet and when you do uh you can go ahead and add twitter won't copy itself
1: (laughs) immutable of twitter
0: add a tweet it's okay (laughs) (laughs) okay i thought it was funny i did too yeah so uh with that let me introduce mr mark Rendell. Uh do I re- need to read your bio? Do you want to introduce yourself maybe? How, how does um, one introduce Mark exactly? Ex- uh, extremely smart, extremely witty, uh, and a problem solver if there ever was one. Yeah, how about that?
2: That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. And and pathologically incapable of not coding. Right. Yeah. It is a problem. Yeah. That's um yeah, they can well, did I mean it,
0: did anybody see uh Mark's talks? Anyone? Yeah.
2: Okay. It, it went on. Like 15 minutes too long I, I had no <laughs> I got it into, Somebody in the back Who held half a, I got half it into a. my head That I'd started At 20 past 3 Oh And, I, and, and quarter you started past at 3 four, And I started at 3 And, and at quarter past 4 um, Ian Cooper just went So were Were you stretching Or were you just In the groove I have no idea I'd done the talk Like many times before and it always actually goes. So you slightly feeling under. like why am I still talking like Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's obviously the pace of life here in the in sunny Portugal. was pretty late it back. just slows like you down yeah. and you just like, yeah. yeah no. so, I know. Roslyn, but it's less important this
0: time. <laughs> you know, a few hours in the sun and a couple of beers, it's nap time. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah.
1: yeah so. uh, no. This is sangria country, friends. Just drink the sangria, you'll be happy. Yeah. A jug at a time.
2: Yeah.
0: So <laughs> What the heck is on your mind these days that you want to tell these good people about?
2: Oh wow, so many things. Um, so yeah, how uh, is Visual Recode? Visual Recode, it's it's kind of ticking over, and um, I'm working on some new features for it. I'm working on making it less clever. Oh, it's, um, it's too clever. Well, it tries to be too clever, and then when it fails, what you're left with is just a mess.
1: Uh, oh, I see. Yeah.
2: And so what I'm doing is I'm taking it down take sort of it does this which is clever and then it does this which is clever and then it does this which is clever and then clever, and, and you put them all together. Sort and of so, m- more I'm, staged cleverness. Yes, and,
0: and if you weren't listening, Visual ReCode will bring your WCF services to gRPC services.
3: Yeah,
2: that's what it does. Um so yeah, WCF not supported on .NET 6 core or Core 3.1, yeah. or, you know, they're, they're done. Microsoft are done with WCF. Right. Um, which is right, because WCF is the .NET way of doing SOAP, and SOAP is 2006's way of doing web services. And it's not 2006. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, we should move on. GRPC is now the way that everybody does what SOAP used to do. But, but
1: Mark, I love my WS star standards. They make me happy. No, you don't. You, no, nobody loves, no, actually, nobody no, there, does. there are people who do. Yes. But um, they all have Stockholm syndrome.
2: Yes.
0: Yes, um, they do. In, Ingo Raumer likes it because it made him a lot of money. Yeah. Well, yeah. And he all bought the, in the house.
2: Um, all the Germans. But, you know, people kind of go, well, how does gRPC do WS cryptography? And you go, uh, HTTPS. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's it. Oh. It's It'll using stop. TLS. Yeah. It, that, that is doing the crypto. How does it do security? Well, it uses tokens. Mm. Um, how does it do, this, that, and the other. And the answer to all the other how-does-it-do-these-questions is generally faster and with less CPU cycles. Right. Yeah. So. And, um, and,
0: and I should define GRPC. It does not stand for Google Remote Procedure Calls. The official documentation, even though Google created it, is GRPC stands for GRPC Remote Procedure yes, Calls, of it's, course. It, th- it's self-referential. Yeah,
2: self-refer- uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a recursive acronym yeah. Um, the G definitely doesn't stand for Google.
0: Although Google created it. It's now open source. It, it is open source. It always yeah. was, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. And it started as the way that microservices could communicate to each other in a, in the fastest, the fastest yeah. way possible. So it actually
2: started out inside Google and they used it for communicating with their whole MapReduce algorithm and all that sort of thing. Um, and it was called Stubby and <laughs> good name. It's a like great it. name. Because the things that you generate on each end are called stubs. Right. And you talk to the stub, and then that turns it into a network call. Um But Stubby was pure TCP, and they handled all the framing and everything. Yeah. And then HTTP2 came along, which was also Google, because that was SPDY. SPDY. Yeah. Um, speedy. Stubby and all and speedy. the multiplexing and the streaming and all the things that they'd sort of handwritten for Stubby was built into HTTP 2. So they went, right, let's rewrite stubby on top of HTTP 2. Um, and then it's kind of like, now that's that's much simpler, and we're much less ashamed of the code. Let's open source it. So they did.
0: And then <laughs> um, gRPC web is a little bit different than gRPC, oh, right?
2: yeah. So yeah. everything can talk gRPC except browsers. Um and, but you know, browsers, they're not an important part of the network. No, nobody the uses networked. those things. No, yeah. Nobody cares about browsers. Um, no, it's interesting. So HTTP2, uh, as a specification, there are things that you have to implement. And then there are things that you may implement if you feel like it. And, but you can be HTTP2 compliant. Without implementing all the things, and one of the things that you don't have to implement is uh, trailers, so HTTP2 has headers that go before the body, but it also has trailers that go after the body and uh, <laughs> and so uh, one There's of the a joke things there somewhere I there is a, <laughs> I, I, I'm something about I thought the trailers came before the main feature. Yeah. Right. That's true. <coughs> uh, why, they, why are they called trailers? Why aren't they, called? they should be called headers.
0: Headers, yes. and, yeah. And
2: yeah. Now they're headers. Um, Bumpers. But uh, so browsers don't have support for trailers. Um, and interestingly, IIS doesn't have support for trailers yet. So the IIS um, <laughs> web server engine doesn't support HTTP2 properly. Wow. Um, but, but nobody, anyway. Nobody uses that so either. gRPC web is, uh, it's a proxy that sits between the browser and the gRPC service and uses, I believe it uses web sockets and it turns, uh, gRPC into web sockets so you can use it from the browser, which for almost all gRPC implementations, you have to use this uh, proxy, which is written in Go, and you kind of run it in a container in Kubernetes or something. But in .NET, because we're awesome, it's <laughs> middleware. And so you can say, use gRPC web, and then use gRPC in your sort of configure app. And interestingly... Um, and it just does it all in process.
0: And it doesn't slow things down, like you might think. You know? No, well, it doesn't. It's using it's, port 80. Yeah, but it's it's still using the binary proto-buff. Protocol. Yes. Right? Yeah. It just yeah. sends
2: it over WebSockets, and then in, on the browser side, there's a kind of JavaScript library that can decode yeah. the protobuf and It's kind of like turn what it what WCF that.
0: wishes it was. Yeah. 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 What remoting wishes? Remember remoting? Anybody here old enough to remember remoting?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Please. Okay. We'll have a
0: beer after. I'm sorry. We will have uh, some port.
2: I have yeah. half a dozen feature requests to add uh, .NET remoting conversion to Visual Recode. Yeah. yeah. As well. Wow. To convert so dot the, .NET Remoting to GRPC. You've got
1: customers out there that want to move off remoting. Off remoting. Yeah. 20 years later. Binary like, formatter, yeah. man. Yeah. It, uh, you know what? It was stinky fast. And it was, it was. if you were, if you'd gotten uh, Byron Remoting working for your app and then they were back then when they were offering SOAP and the WS star stuff, you're looking at this. And going, Are you kidding? Yeah.
2: Are you insane? And
1: then they said, Hey, we're moving to Linux service. And you're like, Oh,
2: yeah. No, but so .NET remoting um it kind of made its way into WCF because that's where net TCP came from. Right. Yeah. And net TCP was super fast. But the problem yeah. with Net TCP is it only worked with .NET, and .NET remoting only worked with .NET. Hmm. And so if you wanted the super-fast binary uh, and, and two-way communication and everything, then it was C Sharp to C Sharp or C Sharp to VB.NET or whatever. Yeah. Um, and if you wanted cross-platform, which in 2006 meant and Java, then you <laughs> had to use SOAP. Um, these days, gRPC, it's C++, Java, Python, uh, C Sharp... Go, Swift, Kotlin. Yeah. There's a separate Kotlin wow. that isn't the Java one. Um, Rust has an implementation. One of the things I think is really nice is Microsoft uh, re-implemented gRPC on top of ASP.NET Core and Kestrel and, and all that super sort of optimized stuff. Um, and so Microsoft's .NET version of gRPC is kind of joint fastest with the Rust implementation. Wow. Um, and they are both just head and shoulders oh, yeah. above the next fastest one, which I yeah. think is Go. I uh, did a
0: performance comparison today in my talk, and GRPC just blows everything away. Yeah, Whether you're streaming or just retrieving data or sending data, it's just yeah. so fast.
2: And it's kind of, it's essentially it's doing the same thing that TCP was, but it's a standard, which means it works with all the things that you might want to use today unless, you know, you're still using COBOL. And it works uh, on every
0: platform.
1: Yes.
2: Yeah, it does. It works nice. on Linux, works on Mac. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: That's cool.
0: With any I language. Mean, I
1: mean, I, as soon as you said this, you know, oh, you got to switch over to SOAP. It's like, I'm pretty sure I used, like, the Genie library for ActiveX to keep my remoting <laughs> running and still talking to Java. Oh, uh, Okay. Dumb. I know I mean I am not saying it wasn't a that's, dark time. That's some old it, pain. At right least there. I didn't yeah. have any XML in my life. Yeah. That was yeah. back at a time when I knew that DCOM, the D actually standed for dumb.
2: The, yes. Yeah. And
0: so uh okay, I think we covered uh, GRPC and the and that tool. Mm-hmm. We're we're talking about modernizing your applications and you know, this is a yeah. one way you can modernize the infrastructure,
2: that's, but that's uh, one way. Um but, yeah, .NET, uh, and it's really confusing to talk about this. So when I say .NET, I mean version 5, version 6, really? what .NET Core turned into. Mm-hmm. When I want to talk about the old one, I'll say .NET Framework. Yeah. And so .NET has a problem, um, and the problem is that .NET Framework is too good. Yeah. I and think. never going away. And never going away. Yeah. The um, Windows
1: has dependency on 4.8. Yes. And it'll never go
2: away. It's, you it, will always have it. And you can't, you literally, you cannot pull that rug out. Right. Because there are probably trillions of dollars a year yeah. going through .NET framework systems. Yeah. And... You go to those companies and you say, Hey, you really should upgrade to dot net six. And they say, Why should we? Yeah. We're right. shifting trillions of dollars a yeah. year. Our apps and it work works great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you go, Oh, it could be faster or you could use fewer resources or, or any of this sort of thing. And they just go, Yeah, but you know, we're, we're doing fine. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. we don't, we don't want to do
0: that. We buy new servers every other year and things go faster.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, and, and also faster, people usually respond well to faster. Okay. So then they go, I will load up my 4.8 in six because you say it'll be faster. Then they get a bunch of problems. They go, well, this is not faster. Yeah.
2: You know, it's It's, not that it,
1: it, because it isn't running. It's not that simple to move from 4.8. It
2: crashes faster. Yeah. Because it turns out that this NuGet package that we took a dependency on in 2009. Yeah. That was you know that XKCD cartoon of the entire modern yeah, internet yeah. and Little. open source project that some random dude in Nebraska's been that's maintaining. Right. Yeah. Um, and
0: you can't get support until he comes home and, from school.
2: And yeah, that's it. Yeah. And but you know, that guy, he wrote that new get package and he published it, and you took a dependency on it, and now he's gone off and he's working at Facebook or or doing whatever he's doing. And um and you know he didn't even bother to migrate the code over from codeplex to github so the source code for that package has now been lost for reasons unknown to anybody he decided he was going to use the free obfuscator that came with visual studio community edition so you can't decompile it what do you do you can't you know um so so yeah uh there are, so what there happens, are challenges. What,
0: you know. Back, back in the days of clean code, great book, you know, mm-hmm. and when things were before .NET Core uh, and they were telling us that we should separate, we should have a layer in the middle of our app somewhere that's just pure logic, right? <laughs> and those who followed that advice are feeling pretty smug right now because they can convert that pure logic to .NET Core and everything else we can worry about later.
1: Yeah. But um, the
0: people who littered their middle layers with you know dependencies to to Windows on one side, you know dependencies to um, certain frameworks or, or 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 UI on the other side, and just merged that all together—they're in a world of hurt right absolutely, now. They absolutely, absolutely. They can't convert. They yeah. have to rewrite. Yeah.
2: Um, so I mean, one of the one of my favorite examples is uh, WPF. So WPF was um ahead of its time in a lot of ways. Some of the stuff that WPF sort of went, this is how we do things, now shows up in kind of Flutter and things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was kind of, so the designer can create XAML, and then the programmer can write behaviors that do sort of funny interaction things and all this kind of stuff. Right. And then you write view models, and then the WPF binds to the view model, and the view model is where all your business logic goes. And, in and a the perfect view model world, knows nothing about WPF. Yeah, it's right.
0: pure logic. It exactly.
2: And in a perfect world, that happens. In the real world, and, you know, some of what I do, um, particularly these last sort of few years, is... Uh, I'm, I'm sort of working on Visual Recode, but because I do that, I also get asked by companies to come in and help them review their sort of .NET framework investment and identify the low-hanging fruit. What can we upgrade easily? What can we upgrade more slowly? What's a good approach to do this? And so forth. You know, there's um, an
0: ancient uh, Irish term for that. It's called unfecking. Unfecking! <laughs> yes. Yeah.
2: Um But... Uh, you know, without naming any names at all, I have seen business logic in WPF behaviors. Ooh, wow. Uh, which, which is, just because you can? Yeah. Yeah, so, thought I'd
0: save a few hours before um, <laughs> lunch.
2: Or, or business logic in WPF value converters. So the <laughs> oh, thing that man. takes a string and turns it yeah. into a date, and you're kind of going, "Why is it doing that yeah. there?" The and they go, idea "Oh, because a... our banking system needs it to be three minutes later." Yeah, and he's just, Meet. but only on
1: Wednesdays. Yes, yeah. <laughs> And for um, payroll transactions.
2: In and the so, case, it is a whole idea. You did value convert program. the value. You did. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you did a thing to it on the way there. Good on you. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> I was having a conversation with somebody in, in the expo yesterday and he was going, is there any way I can trick the C sharp compiler into using my version of activity source instead of Microsoft's version of activity source? <laughs> and I'm kind of like, no, there isn't. And there shouldn't be. Yes. And if there was, we should get rid of it right yes. now. Yeah. <laughs> what What is wrong with you, you sick little monkey?
1: Um, <laughs> you, can, you know, it is open source. Go build your this, own version.
2: Call it evil C-sharp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is the kind of terrible thing that happens in, in JavaScript and Ruby where somebody monkey patches. Yeah. Like people, there are libraries that monkey patch date dot now in Ruby and make it do something else. <laughs> it kinda of like, no, that that's that's it's really just, clear really what date.now should do. Yeah. It should return the date like now. <laughs> you can't make that better. Yeah. Um but yeah, but so wherever those levers are where you can make .NET do things that it's not really supposed to do, people will have pressed those levers because that's what people do. And that, you know, we, so a lot of these trillion dollar systems that are shoving all this data around, they're, they're these houses of cards. Right. And you, they don't have any idea which one of those cards you might be able to slide out without the whole thing just coming crashing down. And not down. just
1: that, op- that thankless ju- guy in Nebraska. They, exactly. they are the thankless guy in Nebraska who didn't know they were the thankless guy from Nebraska. Yeah,
2: right. Yeah. They just built a thing and then they moved on and they yeah. haven't thought about it since. Yeah, and and there you know there's people using it and it works and they're making trillions of dollars. Yeah, can I have some? Yeah, no, please.
1: okay, Never mind. If I break this for you, maybe you'll be more worried Yeah.
0: So the the first step in modernizing a .NET framework application is to make that clear demarcation of logic um, that can be converted to .net core. Yeah, and pull it out of wherever yeah. it is, move it into some,
2: you know, yeah. new
0: models or whatever it yeah. is. But,
2: so that and that's uh it's an exercise that um pretty much every enterprise application, every large scale application whether yeah. it's .net or anything else should go through is is that cleanup phase. Right. Um because the other thing you see is a class that started out and someone went, um, okay, so we're gonna create a, a transaction class. And then someone went, well, the invoice is kind of part of the transaction, so then you end up with all the invoice functionality in the transaction class, and then you end up with all the payment functionality going in, and then you end up with these classes that are tens of thousands of lines long. Yeah, as soon um, general.cs. Exactly, or, 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 yes. or even worse, oh. general.aspx.cs, because yeah. they just <laughs> threw it all in the code behind. With the one method, do stuff, do stuff. Yeah. and an XML yeah. parameter. <laughs> um, God. and I mean, so I had a. You're
0: laughing because you've you, seen you're it. You're laughing.
2: Yeah. You know that person. You I, know I that met guy. them. I had oh, wait, a bug it report. It was me. I had a bug report on Visual Studio, uh, Visual Recode. Yeah, I totally. Yeah. I've skated over that branding thing with Microsoft so go. far. Don't ruin it now. Um, Visual Recode, somebody reported as a bug. So. When it pulls bits out of your WCF application to put them into a .NET Core application, I thought, I know it'll be really neat. I can actually work out which classes you need, and I can only bring the classes that you need across. Hmm. Um, rather, so, you know, cause, in a lot of cases, the WCF application is in the same solution with 500 projects as the Web Forms application and the MVC application and the WPF application and the Windows Forms application. Sure, They're right all now. in there together sharing libraries and stuff. And so I'm just going to grab the the actual classes that you're using and bring them across, and I'm going to put them all in classname.cs files. Mm-hmm. And that got reported as a bug. Because in this person's solution, all the classes were in one file, which was called classes.cs. Yeah. Um, I don't Uh, get to see the code, but I do get to see the metrics on the code. It was uh, it was the kind of file where even if you just opened it in in Vim, Vim would sit there and go, "Get the the 64-bit version." Yeah. (laughs) Hang on, I got Um, it stuffed open. Yeah.
0: I I mean, I did that when I was just starting programming, but I soon learned that that was a nightmare.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's a nightmare to maintain anything that way. But the guy's going, I've got all these files. And I'm kind of like, yeah. And that's a problem because now you can like get to each of your classes just by clicking. Anyway. So yeah, anyway. Can't you just like, if you find a class that's being used, copy the whole file for that class with everything else that's yeah, there the as well. Programmers I mean, just need mental away. models
0: for things. And I think that's why we get stuck with these paradigms sometimes, like putting everything in one file, because they think to themselves foolishly, oh, at least I know where everything is. Well, yeah. no, you don't. No. You're, you're, you're counting on search, you know, yeah. find, to find stuff where, you know, the file system has a find. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm just Student thinking about, you find. know,
1: any modification means updating this monster yeah. class. It's like yeah. the big ball of goo problem.
2: Yeah. And um you, you kinda know that uh that there's no source control happening there yeah. and it's probably just that one dude maintaining it. Yeah. Because and that he, one the, he knows the where stuff is. conflicts you would get if you had more than one person working on that it's one. you got all file the versions the
0: copied time. nicely in named folders oh, yeah. that are
2: alphabetized
0: and oh, by yeah. date.
2: And and probably sort of every previous version of the code is in there just commented oh, yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah.
1: And I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message.
3: Hey, Carl here. You know, software is everywhere, putting us devs on the front lines of innovation, improving people's lives, shipping new and better features, all while moving faster than ever before, which is where our friends at Raygun can help. Their powerful error and performance monitoring tools make it easy to get all the diagnostics you care about for your team's web and mobile apps. When there's an issue, it shows you exactly what's going on, who's been impacted, and how to fix the root cause, down to the specific line of code. See how your users are experiencing your website or app in real time, and ship better code faster with confidence, knowing that Raygun will alert you to any new issues or regressions. Start a free 14-day trial of Raygun today and try it out for yourself. It only takes a few lines of code, and their simple usage-based plans start at $4 a month, a small price to pay to get your team and users to love you. Visit raygun.com. Try it out. You can thank me later.
1: And we're back. It's Startnet Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. hey yo, Talking to our friend Mark Rendell about all of the horrors that you find digging through old code. Yes. In this effort to modernize.
2: And and why that makes it difficult to modernize. But, you
1: it? know, it is easy for us to stand up here in our
0: ivory tower and point out, you idiot, you idiot, you idiot. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to offer some solutions for unfecking. Yes. As my Irish friends would say.
2: Yeah. Um, um, and so the thing we talked about the last time I was on uh, with Cocoon and the Strangler Fig pattern, mm-hmm. um, and I think for... Uh, for web development for sort of web forms i am currently working with a customer who has uh an asp net application except i didn't even know you could do this it's got classic asp pages in there
1: wow oh yeah
0: so
2: they hadn't um, updated from 1997. And
0: yeah. it's obviously still running on
2: IIS. And it it's running be. on yeah. IIS. It runs in Service Fabric oh, in Azure, but it runs on IIS in Service Fabric in Azure. I had to change it. it. It had kind of just standard cookie-based login. Um, and one of the things I've just done for them is a centralized single sign-on um, identity server mm-hmm. implementation. And they went, right, cool, now make that login with that. And I'm kind of like, I'm not entirely sure <laughs> how I can go from an OAuth JWT token to being able to tell the classic ASP page yeah. that the user's logged in. What's that? Oh, you just put the user object in session. <laughs> cool. <laughs> all right, then. Um Sure. And so I did all this, Uh and at no point – while I was doing this work, I actually tried to build the code. Because to build the code, you need VB6 installed. Of course you do. Because the classic ASP pages are not really clever classic ASP pages. They're just classic ASP wrappers for COM components that mm-hmm. are written in VB6. Right. So, yeah. And, and this is the kind of thing that's There's out there.
0: all sorts of problems here. All yeah. sorts of
2: problems. Yeah. So this is the situation where you just go, you know what? Spin up a completely new empty web application in ASP.NET Core yeah. and put YARP in it. And when it, when it starts off, it's just a reverse proxy. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. And can, so.
0: Can you uh, explain reverse proxies? So to...
2: basically you get a, a request come, an HTTP request comes into this shiny new application. Um, and it goes, I don't know anything about that but I've got this address for another server that I am the proxy for, so I'll just send that request straight through to there. That server will serve it. It'll send me the result back here, and I will just pipe that back out. It's literally just just a pipe of the request goes this way, the response goes that way, and it doesn't do anything. But you can then get that reverse proxy to do other things. So you can get that reverse proxy to do the authentication step, and then maybe add those as headers to the request and then send that to the backend service.
0: That sounds like a proxy. What makes it a reverse?
2: It's a reverse proxy. I don't know.
0: It sounds it's, like a proxy.
2: It's, it's cause it's proxying backwards. Yeah, into the proxies, inside. So yeah. yeah. Um, so a proxy would just go, I will stand in the way, and I will do this for you. A right. reverse proxy says, I will stand in the way, but then I'll ask you to do something, and you can do that there. All right. And so Microsoft have created this insanely high-performance uh, reverse proxy, which is a library for ASP.NET Core called YARP which is yet another reverse proxy. <laughs> and it's actually called that. It actually made it out into the world. Yarp. Yeah, normally you yeah. don't get that cool of a name from a Microsoft. They, no, That's... they tried calling it so they tried changing it to microsoft.reverse proxy. Yeah. And there was such a fuff, uh, kerfuffle in the GitHub yeah. um, repo that we went cha- we're yeah. changing it back to YARP. Yeah. Leave it alone, um, it's perfect. But yeah, um but what what you can then do is you can go, okay, so if we've got kind of a slash account where you go to manage your account, if I add a, a controller action or a razor page or a blazer page or something to my new ASP.NET Core application that matches that slash account route, mm-hmm. then it hits that and it doesn't proxy back anymore. And so I can just replace the account page. Hmm. And so that is a step on the way. And then what you were saying about extracting the logic and, and sort yeah. of unpicking the logic from those ASPX code and behind pages and the com components and, oh com components and threaded, you know, re, rewriting those things. Um, but you can sort of do this a bit at a time. You can say, okay, I'm going to take the logic out of here, and I'm going to turn it into a standalone business logic component, right. and then I'm going to put that into a, a new .NET application, and I'm going to get it to build as, as .NET 6, and I'm going to take out references to binary formatter, because that's deprecated and all this sort of stuff, and so you're you're sort of gradually moving the code, mm. the the business code into your new application and you're redoing the UI using razor or blazor or yeah. or whatever you want to use right and and you can continue to add value at the same time and yeah. you can say okay so um I, I can, I can improve this page. I can, uh, improve the functionality here. I can make this page interactive hmm. and make it call an API or maybe redo it using Blazor. Um, and just, and pay off technical debt whilst at the same time fixing bugs, fixing yeah. problems, adding value. Yeah. Um, and, and eventually getting to a point where you don't need IIS running in service fabric in Azure extra-large instances, and you can run the whole thing in sort of three um, two-core Linux containers yeah. um, and run it on ARM. Right. And, you know, let's save the planet as well. Why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, reduce you know? it.
1: Um, reduce the, the total processing power necessary to do any of these things.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Which we have to do. Mm-hmm. The Percentage of the world's carbon budget that's going on IT is something like twenty percent at the moment, but it's projected to ri- rise to eighty or ninety percent by twenty fifty. Um,
1: yeah, I want to get more for, dollar per transaction calculations in place so that yeah, you, so you can see some clear ROI of when we execute this more efficiently, yeah. it actually costs us less. Yeah, you know, Billy uh, at least that's with with something like Azure, you're you're being billed for the compute utilization. So yeah, those numbers yeah. are meaningful.
2: But um, I mean, I've Seen systems that were running on, uh, dot net 2.0, 32 bit mm-hmm. running on hardware that was probably pulling uh, a kilowatt. Right. Um, where, and I was, I, I was looking at their performance metrics. Um, and from what I remember, I'm pretty sure I could run that today on a Raspberry Pi 4. Right. Um, and you know, as long as it was, Patched into the switch using a gigabit Ethernet cable. They could probably do. Um, Yeah. And I I, I do wonder how many applications are out there and people have gone, we need an Amazon like M5 to run this. And you just think, or you could probably run it on like 164th of one of their new Ampere VMs.
0: Actually, all of Azure runs on Raspberry Pi Forest. Did you? (laughs) (laughs) No,
2: that's Google Cloud Platform, surely.
1: Sure. Um, <laughs>
2: but you've yes. seen those
1: little plexiglass stacks
0: with all the pies <laughs> in it. Yeah. They make um, whole buildings full of those things.
2: But, uh, and I was having a conversation yesterday with, um, so we, we're lucky enough to have a few Microsoft people here, which mm-hmm. is great for, um, for the, the company to, to have them out and we can talk to them and kind of go, so what's going on and what can we expect from .NET 8 and whatever else? And, and I won't say who it was, but we were talking about, um, .NET Maui. Right, which of course was supposed to ship with .NET six, yes, Mm. and didn't. No, and RC two at the moment. It's RC two, but there's been they have been scrambling to get that ready. They've been working hard, Um, and they they really bit off. That's one of those things. It's like my social network, where I went, I'm going to write a new social network and take down Facebook. Sure, and it's only going to take me a week. Yeah, because it only took Mark Zuckerberg a week to write Facebook, didn't it? Mm. No. Neither of
1: those things are true. No, but, um, but it become, because the problem with anything UI related is it's all edge
2: cases. There's yes. nothing but edge cases. Yeah. Um, but you know, so now we've got, uh, Maui RC2. It's going to be released probably in the next four weeks. Mm. There's um, a Microsoft event coming up. Huh. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> but then that just means now there are four models for creating. Windows desktop applications with .NET. Right. Yeah. If you don't count MFC, which is what the Windows team thinks you still should use uses, yeah, and still use to make office and yeah. all that sort of beauty. You, win- you got Windows forms. Yep. Yeah. Um, a lot of people out there built applications using Windows forms. Very happy to continue using Windows forms. Still and has the best designer. It's, yeah, you know, um, and then we got WPF. Yep. And that works too. It's it, there are some issues with it and uh, it's not the most resource-friendly way of building an application, but it's fine. Mm-hmm, then there's slack. UWP, which really was a false start and it was very heavily tied to Windows 8, um, but people used it anyway. And right. so now there's a bunch of stuff out there in UWP. And Uno Platform have created a way where you can write UWP code and then ship it on iOS and Android and Linux and the web and all this sort of stuff. And now Microsoft come along and go, hey, no, .NET MAUI, multi-platform application user interfaces. Right. Um, where With a single project. And, I mean, this is impressive, but it is a single visual. So a Xamarin cross-platform project is kind of like a class library and then an iOS application and an Android application. Yeah. Maui, it is one project yeah. that multi-targets four different platforms. Um and you, you sort of have to remove Mac Catalyst, otherwise it complains that you're not doing it on the Mac. Um, but now we have four. And uh if you if you've been using Xamarin then, yes, you migrate to Maui, and they're actually creating tooling to help you do that. But Xamarin goes out of support in 2024 or 2025, I think. Maui
1: is the replacement for Xamarin. Maui is the
2: replacement for for Xamarin, but I guarantee you in 2026 there will still be people shipping stuff using Xamarin. Sure there will. Because it works. Yeah, Um,
1: and if if those folks have enough clout with Microsoft, they'll extend the deadline, as they've done before. Yeah. Um, I just learned this week,
0: um, doing my latest .NET show video, that uh, you, it's not as easy as you think to when you're targeting Windows to uh, you know start it full screen.
2: Don't, don't you, even. I'm
0: serious. You have to use pragma statements and if Windows, then yeah, and then. An interop code yeah. to the Windows API to go full screen. There's, so there's it's a just part for there. the course because think of all the thar- the targets they have to hit yeah. in order to make this thing work yeah. everywhere, everything. So it's not all there yet. No. But there are solutions, but they're like that, and yeah. you only find them if you peruse the GitHub repo, uh, you know, and find people complaining, "Hey, I can't do this," and some engineer goes, "This is how you do it today." Yeah.
2: yeah. And, you know, .NET MAUI does not produce an .exe file when you build for Windows. It produces like an Apex uh, and a a manifest. Mm -hmm. And so when you press F5 to debug it, one of the steps you'll see is I'm deploying it. And it's kind of like, what, what are you, why are you deploying it? Just run it and attach it to the process. No, I can't do that. We're creating a sandbox, deploying your app into the sandbox. Then we go into the sandbox and we tell that to execute the thing. And then we hook into that container through an open port. And, we, and you know, you go to a, a Windows Forms guy with that, who's got an application that he's been happily maintaining for 20 years yeah. Yeah. that does everything he needs this to This is do. before .NET.
1: Right? And yeah.
2: yeah. And you say, hey, this is the new way of doing it. And he's going to tell you to... Take a jump Plug off of... Off. A, yeah. Why would yeah, I break a, this? Yeah, why? Um, well, and it's
1: not like WinForms going away. It made it across. to It the did new, make it across. Net. It did, right? Um, With some changes, like it's not a seamless drop. We're talking
0: about modernizing. You know, Windows Forms app is what we're apps is what we're moving away from. In theory, and I think most people are going to move to a web platform. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I'm not saying most. I mean, some will, but yeah. you know, the web is very attractive, and now there are tools like Blazor that just, you know, are hard to resist Yeah. in terms of yeah. uh, Um, But if someone's been in
1: WinForms that long, they're not likely to leave WinForms, especially when there is a current supported library for WinForms. I'm
0: doing an update for a customer right now from a WPF app app that they run in VMs for their customers. Mm -hmm. I'm serious. Yeah. To a Blazor server app. And they chose Blazor server because, one, they have, you know, a, a limited number of customers. They're all... Very highly pay, paying yeah. customers, but the other thing is that uh, they they want to just keep their secrets on the server. They don't want to yeah. have to write another layer. Hell uh, yeah, and it's faster, right? I mean, let's think about updating the UI in Blazor Server. It's just uh It's like old school tiny fragments tiny of tiny fragments dom. of yeah of, of compressed zipped uh you know here update that field here update that field yeah and just really, whereas what really they're fast. coming
2: from is remote desktop into a VM right. updating the entire screen sixty times a second yeah so yeah no it's going to be better yeah. um
0: what, what do you prefer um do would you prefer to talk a customer into Blazer Server if they can
2: uh I I probably would. If they wanted to kind of go, uh, certainly somebody who was using web forms, yeah. I would say to them, Blazor Server is going to be the closest thing yeah. to that development experience where you're not having to worry about the fact that you are an HTTP application. But where you can just speed. say, when they click that button, do a thing. Go and get something from the database and, and render it into the screen using this, this sort of razor syntax. Mm-hmm. Um, but speed also, right? And, I mean, but yeah, speed uh and and um never having to worry about deploying uh an updated version of the application to every pc right. in a 10,000 pc yeah. office yeah um blazor so, uh, i uh blazor wasm i'm kind of less Convinced that that's that's the thing. I'm sure it is for for some stuff, and they'll continue to iterate on it and improve it. And I think yeah. WASM is fantastic. Yeah, and no, but and it, I can I, see but use you're getting cases very scenario forward. specific now. Yes,
1: we like are. if if the wire is a constraining aspect, having a, one initial load to the client, which is that big WASM assembly, and then relatively small API calls back, that makes sense. Yeah, if you if the um, it, and then the next question is, how far is the server from the client? If the latency to the server takes a while, server side can be slower. Yes. Right. Yeah. But without a doubt, server side, I think is simpler. It's easier to update. It is inherently more secure. And I'm
0: going to say it's inherently faster. Yeah.
1: Well, and the, well, the main thing is that the server side compute time is reliable. Yeah. You don't know what client you're running on. And so you're going to have some fast clients you're going to have some bad clients. Yeah. yeah. But you don't have that problem if that's being done on the on the on the server side. Yeah. And then it's just render time, which is still going to be variable. Yeah. But right. not as variable.
2: But yeah. Um and uh, and Blazor server um I've I've tested it on on different scenarios. I've tested uh, a Blazor server running on a Raspberry Pi 4 in my house over a Cloudflare tunnel hmm. uh, to my phone admittedly still sitting in my house but not connected to the wi-fi right so i was oh, yeah. going really through a public network. web address and i can uh the phone signal that i get in my house um, is h plus which means you are so far from the nearest cell phone yeah. tower <laughs> but we do have this ex- this is like infrared yeah. that we're <laughs> using to communicate with your phone now um and it was acceptable yeah the The performance of this thing was acceptable, and nice. I didn't even have to worry about the fact that um, Safari is a is the IE six of yes, the modern internet. It truly is, you and because because it's popular
1: and not compliant with standards. Yes,
2: and and irreplaceable on on
1: the device. A huge Although if the, the EU has its way, that's about to change.
2: Well, yeah, if, I mean that's we, right. We, we shall yeah. see. Yeah, we'll see. But yeah. But no, um there are, there are all these different options uh for for upgrading to .net um and modernizing your .net thing. And if you've got Windows forms, it's actually pretty painless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you've got a WPF application, it's actually pretty painless. If you um if
0: you re- you know removed all your logic from behind your button clicks and No, even
2: know. even then though. Mm. Um so uh, if you get the .NET Upgrade Assistant, which is an open source thing that they've done, it's a command line tool. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the things I'm actually looking at doing is um, kind of surfacing some of the functionality from this Upgrade Assistant, because it's a command line tool. Yeah, yeah. right. And Are you, tri- you sort tri-convert? of think the people who create WPF, and particularly Windows Forms applications, have probably not opened a command line in a while in some cases. Yeah, probably. probably um, and so I'm kind of going, how can I wrap this in in Visual Studio extension and Give take it credit client, for yeah. it and charge people for it? Um, <laughs> but yeah, take, you can I- point... Inside up- of Microsoft's product, you're going to take Microsoft's product and make it an extension? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and But yeah, you can point Upgrade Assistant at a WPF application, and as long... If you're using like a really old version of Telerik's WPF controls or, mm-hmm. or, um, component one or something like that, right. then you might have some, some issues fussing. sort of getting the upgrade to go. But even then, when they said Windows forms and WPF are coming to .NET Core, mm-hmm. I think it was .NET Core 3.0 they did it in, wasn't yeah. it? Um, the Telerik and component one and, uh, and all the others, Sorry. Sync Fusion. There we go. Dev Express. Dev, Express. Dev yep. Express. Um, I'll try and name as many as I can. There is one that I haven't named because I don't like them. Okay. Um, but uh, you know who you are and you know why. But you know what you did. <laughs> yeah. You know what you did. Um, that was actually their web forms controls though. So, you know, but yes, uh, they, they did make an effort to kind of go, all right, if you're on, the up-to-date version of our control library for your .NET framework, Windows Forms or WPF application, we are going to make it as painless as possible. You will just literally have to add .core or yeah, something right. to the NuGet package names. And um I think some of them even made... Kind of tooling to do that for mm. you as part of that upgrade. Because quite a lot of these control vendors, you don't install them as NuGet packages. You install them in the same way there's a visual studio installer. Right. There's a component package installer that does, gets you your upgrades and stuff. Yeah. And so yeah, WPF and Windows forms. So. That kind of modernization, get that running on the new stuff, and then you've got spans, you've got all the new async, you've got all the sort of high-performance things that have appeared in .NET right. and the new HTTP client and HTTP 3 support and all these kinds of things. And that's great, and that works. Um, whether you're then going to be able to say to those people, okay, so now you've got it, and it's fast, and it works, and it's on a thing that's supported going forwards, now upgrade it to MAUI, and you're kind of like... Mm-hmm why
1: well is the ui so, broken in any way like, yeah, why did you migrate it. in the first place yeah well it, it uh, has to handle these
0: weird things like for example a windows forms button click event handler if i remember has you know sender object sender yeah. and event args args or yes. whatever it is yeah and in blazor there is none of that no. i mean there's just you can either do void or async task in button click handler yes that's what oh, that is
2: one thing i love about blazor the yeah. fact that you can have on click and you call a method that is async and returns a task. Yeah. And Blazor will handle that. Yes. Wow. And this is kind of like, why can't we have that in WPF? <laughs> um, for me specifically, it's WPF because I'm writing Visual Studio extensions. A round of applause for Steve Anderson. Steve, yes. Get up yes.
1: I would also say with anyone working with, a, with existing code bases, Maui one's not going to be your choice, no, uh, because you know any more than it was any fun moving to Core two, yeah, right. <laughs> right. Core but with two the, is pretty good. But three. The, by Core three one and the upgrade assistant, like suddenly it became a lot smoother. The pattern's clear. By yeah. the third version of Maui, this will you will have features that are nowhere else, and there will be an upgrade path that's a lot similar. Yeah. But Maui oh. one, not so much.
2: No, but I, so, so it, but if I could summarize, because I, I realize we, we've yeah, come we're to the end of there. our time. Um, yeah, the one thing that I think uh, companies, even if you're not planning on modernizing, even if you say you're completely comfortable staying with .NET four point eight until the heat death of the universe, <laughs> which, according to CNN, is only twenty years away anyway. Yeah, or um, if Elon buys, or Twitter. if Elon buys Twitter, then yeah. it's probably tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just to, to go and read clean code and read, um, the, ah, uh, vintage books. Are you about working effectively with legacy code is also an uh, extremely yeah, Michael Feathers, book. Michael Feathers book is an fantastic. Amazing yeah. book. Read yeah. those, um, get and clean up your code and get. Get your business logic out of your WPF behaviors and anywhere. your value converters at the very least. Yeah. But put, you know, I'm not saying they have to run in different classes. And don't, I'm definitely not going extract everything into microservices because don't. Um, but gen- do generate interfaces, it up. yeah,
0: from your classes, yeah. So you can have dummy classes that the UI people can use to mock things. Give those to them, and while you're working on the conversion,
2: yeah yeah that's but yeah just get good get stuff. those layers get that separation in, and when you do decide you want to modernize something or even if you just want to kind of go, we want that functionality, but we also want it in in our iPhone app that we have decided to build with Mary, right. then you will be able to pick that class up and you know compile it as net standard two point yep. Create it as a new Get package and share that code between your your web forms application and your iPhone application. And, Bob's your uncle, and you yeah. know there's 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 a win there. And hey, maybe a, along the, the way write a few tests. Oh well, yeah, that, that's crazy. That is yeah. crazy. Yeah. yeah, that is crazy. A step too far. Okay. Yeah, yeah I too far. That. Too far. I'm <laughs> really right. sorry,
0: Mark. Uh, it's been great talking to you, Mark Rendell, ladies and gentlemen. Give it up.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> we'll see you next time on .Net.